everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope that you have had a fantastic week of taking the best care of your patients. I hope that you're feeling fulfilled, refreshed, energized, feeling good about all the things that you accomplished, all the great things that you did for your patients this week. Um, And if you are not quite feeling that way, I hope that you get some time to rest and relax and that you have a better week this week. Um, Today, we are talking about the topic of onboarding a new product or protocol and how we can make that happen in really any office. So there is a specific framework that I have used for years that has been highly, highly successful um, in not only onboarding a new product to the point where others start using it and others are excited about it and willing to report back, but that, you know, patient, patients are saying yes, they're enrolling, um, doctors are happy about it, the team is happy about it, everyone understands these products, you know, from start to finish in a deep um, and working way, like they have a working knowledge of what the products are, what they do, and what the purpose is. Um, so there's a specific framework that has worked best for me, and today I'll use a couple of examples of how this has worked in regarding PerioProtect, regarding uh, Microbe Link DX, and regarding uh, our VoiceWorks system. All of these onboardings are kind of from start to finish a big ask. It's a lot of work, but they are well worth it on the back end in regards to the uh, value that these things bring to our patients, um, the education that we can bring to our patients using these tools, and um, you know, time-saving wise regarding the, the VoiceWorks. And I want to say thank you, Brittany, for bringing this to us today, because I do think this is a big issue we have in hygiene, um, where we will, you know, maybe go to a CE course and see something new and get excited about something or, you know, kind of hear about an idea or a protocol and think, oh my gosh, that would be awesome. And then like that immediate thought after is like, but it's never going to work. Nobody's going to use this. Like the doctor's going to say no, like not everybody's going to get on board. So sometimes like we might get excited about something, but then we like immediately like talk ourselves off the ledge because we're like, well, it's not going to work. And then we never try Mm it. So Mm -hmm. I love this concept of laying out an idea and a pathway for this um, because I think obviously the future is all of the new things and the new technologies and the new um, research that's out there. So I think having a plan for how to do this is a beautiful thing. And I just really Mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing it with us because I think you really have perfected it. Thank you. And and I will, and I don't want to take light away from the fact that I know it's been a lot of work for you. And that is something for our listeners to keep in mind. Anytime you're onboarding something new, whether it be a product or a protocol or a system, it does take work. It does take time. Don't lose heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Be committed to it because, you know, if it's something that you really believe in and that you really see value in, it's worth the work. 
It's definitely a lot of work to do this, but what I will say is that if you choose to implement kind of the way that I have started doing this at Spodak, um, you can at least not have to reinvent the wheel by trying to come up with the how do I onboard this, you know, because I'm going to give you the specific steps and you can use it and apply it however you want to really any product. And what Teresa just described is exactly how it happens, right? We go to a continuing education event, we see a new product, a new service, a new something, and we are there and we get all the scientific research, you know, the, the, the sales reps or whoever is educating us about this product from start to finish. We get all the valid and reliable research. We understand how this is valuable to the patient, to our practice, what revenue it might bring. Um, so we get to see all that and that creates excitement for us, you know, but I think something that is important to remember is that if the rest of your team didn't go, they haven't had the opportunity to get to the level that you have regarding, you know, the deep understanding, the deep appreciation you have for this product why it's so important. So they don't have that level of excitement. And to them, you know, when you're coming with a new idea, a lot of times it feels like, oh God, another thing, here's going to be more work for us, you know, is their initial, like maybe thought or impression. Um, But I just want to say, you know, those automatic negative thoughts keep a lot of people from trying to onboard new things. And that creates boredom in our practice, you know, it creates boredom. It's not what's best for the patients to just keep doing things as status quo. We are in the field of medicine where things are constantly evolving. And that's a blessing because it keeps what we do very interesting, right? We don't have to stay with just the, the profi pumice polish, you know, we can start air polishing. We don't have to stay with, you know, traditional floss only methods. You know, we can use the Sonic Fusion 2.0 water pick plus electric toothbrush plus, you know, just there's so many different things out there. If we're willing to learn and and stay open-minded about it, um, that will keep our careers refreshing and revitalizing and exciting for us. So this is one of those things. So I will give a couple of examples, like I said, about the salary testing, about Protect, and about, um, voice works and kind of what those processes look like. So on the front end, um, I'll give a little background here. I went to visit Sharissa in 2018. I had heard that she was their hygiene unicorn. She was producing half a million a year. And, uh, you know, I had that immediate thought of like, oh my gosh, what's she doing? She has to be cheating. She has to be doing something crazy. She's got to be doing extractions and Invisalign. And what is this lady doing? Right. So then I turned on my actual adult brain and said, okay, what is she doing? I want to go learn from her went and visited her with my colleague, Ashley, and we learned about PerioProtect. And, you know, just watching Sharissa explain it to her patients, hearing her talk about the outcomes that she has seen firsthand from her patients using these PerioProtect trays, hearing about the revenue, um, the actual profit, you know, the the lab fees, the costs. We picked your brain about what was involved in um, submitting prescriptions, how the doctors viewed this, you know, her verbiage, on this topic. And we thought, man, this seems just like the golden, the golden egg here, like the golden ticket. This is a no brainer. It seems like this is something that we really need to consider to bring on in uh, at my practice, you know? And of course that was just the very, very, very front end. That was the very, very, very step one. At that point, I hadn't researched it myself. You know, I hadn't gotten real numbers, um, on paper, you know, I'm going off of what Teresa is telling you, which is really valuable information. And what we initially, were uh, interested in, you know, it brought that initial interest, but then I knew that there's a lot more work to do. So when we were onboarding Hair Protect at our office, there was a lot of convincing to do. And I think the most difficult thing about trying to implement a new project or, or new product is that first you have to prove to your team that this is a worthwhile experiment for your patients and for your practice. 
So like we just said, if you went to a CE and you learned about something new like air polishing, paraprotect, educational tools, and you understand the research and purpose and how exciting it is, and you got all fired up, the first thing you need to remember is that unless your team was there with you at this event, they didn't get the experience. They didn't get to experience this product in the same way. So you essentially have to understand that the product, you have to understand the product enough to thoroughly and confidently pitch it to the team before you choose to do that. Okay. So the first thing is, Dr. Roland loves to say, don't blow your ask. So when you're bringing a new idea to your team, make sure your first conversation about it is a strong one. So if, if, if you go to your team and you say, and, and what you're explaining to them isn't backed by valid and reliable peer-reviewed research, um, or if you're unsure about how the product works or benefits the patient, or you know, if you're just not certain about why and how and why this would be good for everyone, um, your uncertainty may not do the product justice, and this will be your, your team's first impression of this product. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to do all of the work before you say to the team, like, hey, is this something that we would consider? Because that you know, it's like chicken or egg kind of thing. Right. Um, but you do want to come with some information saying, Hey, I don't know everything about this, but would you guys be willing to consider something of this nature? Should it prove to be as valid, as reliable as it seems? Right. And I think you, you should do some of the legwork beforehand, obviously, so that you know that what you're bringing is, mm-hmm. is something that would benefit. Um, and I think most, all the products that are out now, there's reps, right? Right. So it's, it's, you don't have to do all of the research, reach out to the rep and say, Hey, what can you send me? Send me the research that you have. Send me the peer reviewed articles, send me how this whole process works. Help me really understand it. I mean, reps are willing to spend the time with you to have the conversation um, so that you really feel good about what it is you're bringing in. And then you can communicate that effectively because you're right. If you just kind of like, oh, I saw something and it looked really cool and maybe we should try this, but you don't have any of the details or it's not the best thing. Like you're just going to get shot down and then that's going to be over and done with. So come with the information. Yeah. And and there's a chance, you know, that the product maybe isn't the best thing. So if you're pitching this to your team and then you discover, oh, this is actually kind of shoddy, excuse me, or the reviews on this product aren't so good or something, you know, like on the back end of that conversation, right. then you kind of just lost a little bit of um, like validity, your own, like the team's trusting you almost, you know, right. so that, that right. sucks to find out on the back end. So Teresa right. and I say all the time, don't let the pursuit of perfection stand in the way of making progress. You know, perfection is the chronic enemy of progress. So when I'm saying, you know, make, make the first pitch good and go unprepared, that's all we mean. And it's all anyone can do. So if you do your due diligence and you get all the background information, you present your case and how it will benefit patients, practice providers, and the collective answer is still no, you can at least in that situation walk away knowing that you did all you possibly could. So that's not a blown ask. That's potentially just a missed opportunity for your team, but not because of you. So you can walk away from that situation if that ends up being the case saying, I did everything that I could. Um, I educated myself, I educated my, you know, boss and team members and whatever, maybe this isn't, you know, the right practice for this product or vice versa. Um, but just like Teresa said too, you know, sometimes it's helpful before having that conversation. Remember, you know, a lot of companies offer lunch and learns. They, they don't charge the office. They're selling something, you know, they want you to buy their product, So they offer their time a lot of times at no charge. So this may be an opportunity for a Q&A session or a learning session about the product that you might be interested. So, you know, to determine, is this a good option if your team needs, needs to hear it from the company instead of you? 
Yeah. And sometimes they do need to hear it from the company instead right. of you, because one, like Teresa said, you know, the company knows the product best. They represent this product. They sell it all day long. They have been talking about the science for years and years. And also sometimes it's just like, oh, it's just, oh, it's just Brittany. What does Brittany know? You know, like she's, she's saying we should do this thing, but she's just a hygienist like us kind of thing, which isn't an ideal attitude to have about our colleagues or our team members. But I think sometimes the familiarity is what keeps people from really thinking, oh yeah, this could be a good idea. Like it's right. not, so it, so it separates it from being like, oh, it's just Brittany, like, you know, with more ideas, like what, what she wants to do um, to this is the product. This is the, uh, the rep and here's all the background info. Like, let's make a collective decision. And no matter where we are in this process, if we're in the learning phase, the best thing that you can do during this process is be transparent about where you are in the process. So if you're like, okay, I don't have all the information. I don't know enough about this product to to pitch it to the team yet. Say that to the team. Hey, I went to a CE. I learned about this product. I think it sounds great from what I understand about it. Um, This is what it supposedly does. This is supposedly how it would benefit our patients. This is supposedly how it would help us to save time. Would you guys be open to a lunch and learn with this company to help us determine if this is something that we want to onboard? So just say, I don't know. I don't have all the information, but I want to get more information. Would you be interested in joining me doing this? Right. And I think another point to make as we're presenting these things to our teams is figuring out ahead of time what the benefit will be and presenting that as well. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if it's your practice owner or your doctor, honestly, they're going to be concerned about what is the bottom line of this from a financial aspect? What kind of... um, you know, profit is this going to bring in? What's our cost going to be? Like really mm-hmm. understanding that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, to our fellow clinicians, you're going to have the question of like, well, how much time is this going to take? Because mm-hmm. I don't have enough time for this. Or how much education is this going to take for me to learn this? Like, what's this process going to look like? Because, you know, we talk all the time about like, there's always those like automatic negative thoughts of like, hey, I hear this is new, but what's this going to mean for me? What's this going to mean change-wise? What's this going to mean stress-wise? Like, So it's important to you know promote that aspect. And then also, obviously, because we're all in it for patient care, like how is this going to benefit the patient? How is this going to benefit, benefit what the patient is going to receive from our practice care-wise by using or implementing this? So I think just really coming across with all the benefits is important too, because the automatic tendency is to be like, oh yeah, that sounds great, but I don't have time for all that. Um, If you really understand that it's going to bring a lot of benefit to the practice, that makes you more open to like, okay, like, and I've used this example multiple times. Like for me, when we brought the iTero in, I had that like, ooh, this is going to take time and I don't know how to do this. And, you know, there was definitely that, you know, like hesitancy and that negativity Um, but once I got it down, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like why, you know, I wish we would have had this years ago. Right. Right. And like, you know, like you said, we'll get into it a little bit further down too. Um, but anticipating people's questions and anticipating some of the potential, not just questions, but, um, what is, what's the word that I'm thinking of? Uh, like pushback almost like what would the barriers be like talking about the barriers before people start talking about the barriers. So like Sharisa just said, um, you know, I know that this, you know, may not save us time, but it'll save us this. Or, you know, I know that one of our main concerns is timing here and making sure that we have time to do everything that we need to do every single day for our patients. So I just want to let you know up front that um, we're going to use air polishing instead of 
uh, traditional pumice polishing. And so we're exchanging one system for another. And not only does the air polishing, you know, disrupt biofilm subgingively and supergingively, so it saves us a lot of cabotroning time, it's, it also is less abrasive on the tooth and works more effectively to remove stain than pumice polishing. So it, it's going to actually save us time. We won't have to sit there and scrub off that stain and we won't have to, you know, try and debride every square millimeter of the root with our cavitron tip, you know, the air polisher is going to disrupt that biofilm for us. So it's going to save us a lot of time doing the other things we normally do. So if you throw that out on the front end, you've just solved a mental issue for them of, oh God, is this going to take more time? You know, because that's obviously a very common barrier. So I'll start with step one. Uh, I would recommend starting with the practice leader or decision makers at your practice. So I didn't when, when I came back from visiting Charissa and thought this might be a good idea, I actually didn't go to my hygiene team. I went to Dr. Craig because I don't want to go to my hygiene team and get them hyped up about something or, you know, them start talking about something. And then Dr. Craig hear about it from their end and him be like, what, what's going on? You know, I didn't okay this. Right. Uh, I wanted to ask him if he would even entertain this in the first place, because that's, if not, then, then why, why start doing all the other things? So I explained to Dr. Craig that I thought this would be a good, good fit for our practice. I explained the research, the purpose, the lab fees, the, project, the projected profits per case uh, and case acceptance using ABS as an example. So I use Teresa as an example. Um, our, our offices are very similar in the high quality of dentistry and the high level clientele that we have. So in the, the fee-for-service fees that we use, you know, our, our fee schedule is very similar. So this was a, a very apples to apples argument to make profitability wise. Um, I asked what else he would need from me to let us try to incorporate this in our office. And his request was that um, if I could get every doctor on board and get a hundred percent yes consensus from them and our hygiene team, we could move forward with this. So this may sound like uh, this, you know, that's not a big deal if you have a practice with one or two doctors, but we have like 12 so had to get through 12 doctors and eight hygienists and everyone had to a hundred percent agree that this would be good for us and our practice and our patients and get the go ahead to move forward. So that was quite a daunting task and it was definitely a process. So and step one. Something, did you go to each one individually or was that like a team meeting that you had? So I think initially I don't remember if I initially went to them as individuals and told them I'd be sending an email about this product or if I sent the email, then followed up individually. I don't remember in which order I went, but I know that I did both with everyone. It was necessary Um, because I don't want anyone to feel like people like to feel like they are involved in the decision-making process when it's a decision that will impact them. Right. So that's important. You don't just want to say, Hey, I made a decision on behalf of you. So now you have to change your the way that you practice because of me and I didn't consult you about it. Like, that's not cool. People, people get bad feelings about that. So I, I did consult with them. I don't remember which way I went first though, to be honest. So, so step one was start with the practice leader or decision maker. So go there first, present, you know, your mini presentation, ask what they would need to move forward. Hey, Bulletproof Hygienists, it's Brittany and Charissa, and we are thrilled to announce that it's finally here our comprehensive online mastery course. If you're anything like us, you know that hygiene is more than just a job, it's more than just a paycheck, and it's a whole lot more than just cleaning teeth. It's our calling. 
If you're ready to take the deep dive, become a top 1% hygienist, and move from going through the motions to loving what you do every day, boosting treatment acceptance, taking communication and team building to the next level, this course is designed for you. Master all the tools you'll need to make our successes your own. Everything from mindset and culture, team organization and calibration, to individualized best practices and verbiage for success, it's all there. Earn five CEs while building your own bulletproof hygiene practice with our proven methodology. To find our course, go to bph.dental and click courses on the left-hand side for all the details. Step two is uh, the biggest step and one that takes the most time and it's convince the team. So it's important to make sure that the team understands everything possible about this product prior to onboarding it. It doesn't feel good like we were just talking about when an executive decision is made on behalf of people whose lives it will impact. So if they are not included in the decision-making process, there's usually some bad feelings in the back end about that. Um, also, if people, when people are part of the decision-making process, they tend to own the decision more than if someone just said, hey, you have to start doing this. You know, If they were part of the decision-making process and they helped assemble the plan of how we're gonna implement this and they were able to contribute to the plan, they, they feel some responsibility for making sure it goes to plan. Right. So it's helpful to go this route. So um, if there's one thing that I've learned from working with a large team, it's that you don't offer a large group of people a bunch of options at once. And you definitely don't present a half-assed or half-assembled plan to them. You, What you do is prepare as much as you can, answer as many questions up front as you can anticipate, and there will be a lot less to do after the initial info dump. So what I mean by not presenting a lot of options is... For example, if I were proposing something that I wanted to onboard, such as a new type of blood pressure cuff, I wouldn't show the team seven different models of blood pressure cuffs and ask them which one they thought would be best. I would do the research and then maybe whittle it down, you know, and I, I never ask for help with this research. I may ask one or one or two other people to help me research, okay? That's the max I would do because when you get more people involved, it's a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas. It gets just messy, hairy. It's you're going to get on this track where you are just stuck and you give up and throw in the towel. So don't include too many people on the front end. Um, so I would do the research preliminarily and maybe ask, like I said, a couple of strong team members to partner with me on this and decide on the best one or two options first. Okay. So I may have been considering seven, seven blood pressure cuffs at the beginning, but I'm going to whittle it down to one or two blood pressure cuffs before I consider bringing this to the team. Like, so let's say you're considering bringing on uh, an air polisher and you're like, Hey, there's these 10 air polishers I'm looking into. No, don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to the team. You need to research the air polishers that you're interested in and, and, you know, maybe partner with someone to brainstorm about which one fits your practice best, which one is most cost-effective, which one is best for the patient, which one's going to make everything easy, streamlined, most comfortable, whittle it down to two options, I would say, maximally, okay, for giving the team options. Or if you can make that decision, say, this is the one that makes the most sense, then do that before presenting to the team. You know, you don't want to come with a bunch of options because you will never get to where there is a consensus and everyone's happy about the decision. So don't even, don't, don't do it. It's a mess. Um, so in the instance of Protect, I had to present to a lot of doctors, not intimidating or difficult at all. I started constructing an email and I'm going to tell you what was in the email here, what convinced the team. So uh, the best way to do this was to create the complete protocol and forward it along with the link for them to review peer-reviewed research in the same email. So 
I decided because there were so many team members that needed to approve this and so many people involved and, you know, more than half of them are doctors. Doctors are going to have a million questions. You know, they're already skeptical of this woo-woo voodoo voodoo we call perioprotect and the hydrogen peroxide gel and all the things. And it's, it's not a common product that people know much about like widely. So there's a lot of information I'm going to have to provide on the front end and then I, ex- I fully expected and was aware that we would have some work to do to alter the protocol before we were able to bring it on board. So just because there are so many people involved, I kind of took the initiative to create the entire protocol before even sending and saying, here's the research, here's the product. What do you guys need to, to be okay with bringing this on? I just said, hey, here's the plan. What else do you need from me prior to bringing this on and onboarding it? So... So, um, I love that by the way, because if you just send over the information, then there's so many questions, but if you already have it laid out to like, Hey, this is, this is, this is the information. This is how I see it working in our practice. This is how we would, you know, this was, is exactly what the process looks like that alleviates a lot of questions and brings Mm -hmm. some comfort to like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like you've already thought it out and you're just sharing the entire plan. Yeah. And I'm, sh- and I'm showing them from the front end, how this is very important to me and, and to our team. I clearly think it's a good idea. I, I invested a lot of time in designing this protocol and I am making an attempt to make this smooth as possible. What is your feedback? Right. You know, yeah. so um, the parts that I included in the protocol that I sent were the following. So we can consider this step three, but really it's a part of step two, which is still convincing the team. Um, so I explained what the product is. In this case, it was Perioprotect. So I explained what it does, what it doesn't do, what its limitations are, what other procedures it could potentially replace, such as NSPT in some instances, and other procedures that it cannot replace, such as LENAP. So I was very clear about this because we offer so many perio treatments and so much different type of surgical, non-surgical periotherapy that I knew there would be questions about well, is this going to just replace everything that we're doing perio-wise? Or like, where does this fit in our treatment modalities? So I answered all those questions up front. Um, I answered what medicaments could be used in the tray and in which instance is each appropriate. So I went into the vibromycin, the purpose of that, and into the perio gel and the purpose of that, uh, the frequency of use, how the patient would use it, excuse me, and the specific science behind why this works. Um, I next went into how to determine who is a candidate. So I gave a list of who is a candidate and why each person was a candidate. Um, rationale for recommendation, reason we're recommending to onboard this, such as, you know, it's a lower cost to the patient, it's high effectiveness, and it, and it helps us to manage this chronic disease. I included patient education verbiage and verbiage that should be used for enrolling patients. And I partnered with Sharisa on this because she already had great verbiage. So why reinvent the wheel? I included how to treatment plan this, where to find the codes in Dentrix. I included um, the, the actual codes, what the D codes were, the fees, how to post it to the ledger, who to post it to. Um, and then I included how to scan for trays with the ITERO and the steps for submitting the prescription and sending the perio chart along with it. Um, I included an example prescription form and contact number for perio protect. Uh, how the trays would be checked in and kept track of. So how we would track who's got delivered, who would be delivering, how the delivery would go, 
um, the periotray delivery process from start to finish, including what the patient's take-home instructions would consist of and look like. I included follow-up procedures, including reevaluation. Uh, so we reviewed how we would measure the progress using four-week uh, re-period charting or first recare period charting and subsequent period charting, obviously measuring bleeding points. Um, I included pictures of the trays and how well they work when seated properly. And as I mentioned, I attached a link at the, at the end of the email for each doctor to research as they saw fit. So I just sent a link with a bunch of valid and reliable peer-reviewed research about hydrogen peroxide, um, topical and subgingival use uh, over extended periods of time. And then they could just research that on their own. So even with all this information loaded and ready to go, the doctors did still have questions. And one had quite a few concerns um, about follow-up procedures. And she even asked, well, will you be salivary testing to confirm e efficacy? And I said, you know, no, because the standard of care is, you know, for any other procedure we do, whether we're doing scaling or doing surgery, is we probe the patient. That's our follow-up. That's how we measure progress and changes and disease activity or arrested state, right? So I said, no, we'll be period charting just like we do post LANAP, you know, year, year after LANAP or after surgeries or after NSPT and we'll mark the bleeding points and that's how we will be determining blah, blah, blah. So there was a lot of back and forth. There was a little bit of, of snarkiness that went on. Um, there was some skepticism I encouraged, you know, whoever was skeptical to read the documents that I had sent over, you know, read the link. And if they chose not to, um, you know, then they didn't do their due diligence, but that's on them. It's like, at some point it's up to them to research and feel comfortable about it. So after about a week, I did get the go ahead from all the doctors and from Dr. Craig and we were ready to go. So, so next thing, the next tier was I had to pitch this to the entire hygiene team and basically repeat the same process for eight hygienists. They were a little more open to this, obviously, because they understand the perio equation. We're the ones seeing the perio maintenances that aren't truly in maintenance. They're bloody. They're not arrested. You know, it's a very frustrating thing. Um, and we wanted to incorporate a tool that would help this not to be the case so much chronically anymore. Um, so we did that for the hygienists. Uh, some of them had barriers, you know, and initially they had questions and concerns regarding the cost and they believed it was too expensive. Some of them doubted it would work. So I encouraged them to read the research. Um, they wanted to see anecdotal evidence, which honestly to me doesn't make much sense, but I think it's kind of like the emotional side of anything. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't understand, like the facts are there. Why is this emotional? Um, but I think people need to see firsthand sometimes the outcome of what we are bringing on board. Um, it's like the research is just kind of far away information that someone else did and they want to see it, you know, in live in person. So for, so for some of them, they refused to start using it until they saw that anecdotal evidence. Um, so I started using it slowly and eventually each hygienist slowly jumped on board when they started seeing my results. So I used, oh, I'm sorry, let me take a step back here. Um, so step three is essentially start using it, you know, set a goal to enroll your first case and keep in mind, you'll probably be the only one, you know, using this at first. And then the more you use it, the more confident you become and people see what you're doing and tend to, um, they tend to adopt what you're doing when they see like, oh crap, it's working. Oh crap. She is enrolling patients. Oh, patients are saying yes. I guess it's, they start questioning their own barriers, you right. know, so right. start using it. And, and at first, when I started using this, I had a few specific patients in mind that I really thought would be great candidates um, who had had those like bloody peri maintenance as we'd rescaled and rescaled and rescaled and placed 
antibiotics and referred to the periodontist. And some of them have had had osseous surgery or LENAP and just disease reactivity, you know, was happening. And it was just this really frustrating situation. So I had a couple of patients in mind that I had a lot of rapport and history with. So that was really helpful. And most of my first patients actually did say yes to me because I explained to them from an honest and sincere place what I thought it could do for them and how I believed in it and how, you know, I think it could, I think it could help them. And you've been through the ringer and why not try something out of the box here? So I got a lot of yeses at first, but I think it's important to remember we've got to be okay with some of them saying no to Sometimes if you're onboarding something and you start using it and your first one or two or five patients say no, it can be really disheartening, but you've got to remember you're learning. You're still learning. How, how do I best present this to patients? You know, it may just require a little more practice just because they're saying no, doesn't mean the product isn't good or it won't work. You just may need more practice or maybe you're, you're you just haven't got to your yes yet. Yeah. At the end and of I, the day, it's a numbers game. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I do understand the side of wanting to see something and make sure it actually does what it, you know, promotes itself to do. And, you know, having that anecdotal evidence, I do understand that. But I would say the point you're making right now, one great thing you can do, and I know this is what you did, is you came to me and you're like, Teresa, you've been using this for a while. Clearly you believe in it. How, what are you saying? What are you doing? How are you getting your patients to yes? Well, again, you can use the pipeline of for whatever product this is, mm-hmm. you know, talk to your rep and be like, Hey, do you have another hygienist that uses this? It's really strong in it. Like, I'd love to, t- do you think she'd be willing for me to ask her some questions? Like utilize the community, look around to see people that have used whatever it is you're interested in and, and really love it and really know how to use it well and lean in on them and their experience. I think that's just a really great way to get comfortable with something and learn like what verbiage works and what systems mm-hmm. work and what's worked, what hasn't worked for you and, and use that. I think that's a smart way to do this. Yeah. And there's no reason we have to go it alone at all. Ah. Like there's so many people who are so good at this stuff. Like we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel or try and figure it out ourselves. If someone has a good system, pick their brain. Yeah. Like there's no reason to just try and like make it work. It's great to, to have that person too to troubleshoot things. So if your first couple patients do say no, like call, call your, the person, you know, be like, Hey, they're saying, no, this is what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. They may have some really helpful suggestions. They may even be willing to like come to your office and mentor and, you know, do different things, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, But, you know, when it comes down to it with any new or existing product, there are always patients who will, who will decline, who will say no, you know, and that's on them at the end of the day. So be okay with some patients saying no, it's a numbers game to some extent. So there will always be patients who don't move forward with your recommendation. If the first one is not a go, just keep going until you get your first yes. And then after you get your first yes, celebrate, you know, say, this is awesome. We have success. It has officially been implemented and onboarded here. Like take a moment and just pat yourself on the back and have some appreciation for that, you know, celebrate that moment. Um, so I would say step four is the celebrating and that's the one that we usually, uh, skip. And then step five would be during the follow-up procedures for whatever it is that you're onboarding, um, record and compile your findings, your photo, you know, take photos, use your period charts, um, start collecting data on your own cases, whether it's trying a new whitening system, um, or microblink DX, you could measure how much quicker was this than, you know, using traditional perio charting or having to do it myself, you know, there's different ways that you can prove the effectiveness of whatever product it is, you know, or, or the helpfulness of whatever product it is. So 
for me, I took a lot of photographs on, on my very first patients that I was trying this with. I wanted to see uh, on the appointment that I was recommending this, I would take photographs and obviously do a perio chart, submit the script. And then on the, not on the delivery appointment, but on the follow-up appointment, you know, their first recare or that first follow-up appointment, snap some photographs, do a perio chart, you know, and then along the way, every recare, snap some photographs, do a perio chart, snap some photographs, to do a perio chart, <laughs> because that's great for getting it back to the, the team and explaining to them that anecdotal information of, you know, how well it's working. So step six is report back to the entire team on how it's going. So if we implement something or say, hey, this is here, but then the team never hears about it again, they kind of like just feel like it never really happened or like it's not really here, you know? So circling back with the team and letting them know this is very successful on board. Thank you guys for helping to make this happen. Um, this is how successful it's been. And take an opportunity to show them your photos, show them your perio charting, say, tell them about your findings, you know, your clinical findings and the bleeding points and, and how you you know, if you're having challenges with this new product, how you're overcoming it. So that, that has been the way that has worked best for me in onboarding anything. And, you know, I did the same thing with Microblink DX, uh, the salivary testing. Uh, we did the same thing with Florida Probe and having everyone use it ahead of time and asking what they think and does it make your life easier or harder? You know, when they give you that yes, you know that they're bought into it and they're going to use it you know, and it's going to benefit them. So it's, it's all of the steps. Yeah. And I love, I've had this happen. So I can share a story where I tried to onboard something and just realized it wasn't a great fit. Like mm -hmm. that's okay too. You don't know until you kind of give it a, a good try. And so, um, you know, I know you, you use the voice works and I feel like calling out perio numbers to patients is one of the most important things we can do from an educational standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, and so we didn't have anything like that in place. So I started to think, Kika, I want to incorporate something like this that we can use because I just think it's crucial. And so I started looking around out there and came across the dental rat mm -hmm. and thought, gosh, that might be a good solution for us. And so I just went to our doctor owner and I put together an email that explained like, hey, I'm looking into this. This is how it works. This is the cost. Um, this is how it could work for our team, but I would really like to get one and try it out and see if this is something that would work for us. Um, and so we had a little back and forth about that. Um, he actually was able to kind of broker a situation where we could give it a try. Um, and I tried it myself and then I had another one of our hygienists can just kind of try it out and realize there were some issues with it, um, being compatible with our software and, you know, just, it wasn't as user, user friendly as I had hoped with the bleeding point aspect. Um, and not to say it's not a great product because I've talked to several other hygienists, like at our summits, um, who said, oh my gosh, we use that and we love it. And I think that's great. It just wasn't a good fit for us in our practice. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's an important thing too. Like that, that to me was still a win mm -hmm. because we still looked at something that, you know, potentially could have helped and gave it a try and didn't just like blow it off and be like, eh, I don't know about that. Like we actually tried it and said, you know what, this is a good product. It's just not a good fit for us. And that's still a win and that's still okay. Now totally. let me look around and see what are the other, op what are the other options? That's totally a win. And you know, that's just your due diligence. Yeah. You're just doing yeah. due diligence and that involves some work and sometimes it doesn't work out, but guess what would be way harder? If you didn't do your due diligence, you onboarded this thing and then it didn't work. Right. 
right? So finding that out on the front end is, yeah. is the best thing. So researching is, is number one. So um, I'll just kind of summarize what we just talked about. And actually, I just realized that researching, I didn't make it a number. I started with uh, um, telling our practice leaders about it, but research is really step one, obviously. Um, so just in summary, step one is, you know, learning about the new product, doing your own preliminary research. Step two is start a conversation with the practice leader or decision makers at your practice. Step three, convince the team. And that's a huge process, right? Um, step four, start using it and set a goal to enroll your first case, have a few patients in mind. Step five, celebrate once you get that first case enrolled. Step six, record and compile your findings and photos and perio charts or whatever, you know, is involved in the product that you're trying to onboard. And step seven, report back to the entire team about how well it's going, what your challenges have been, and how you're overcoming them. Yeah, That is in a nutshell, that is the tried and true version of uh, what has worked best for us at the Spodak Dental Group. And I think it will be super helpful no matter what you're trying to onboard. If anyone does have thoughts or questions about, you know, onboarding new things, how to onboard, how to convince people that this is a good idea or bad idea, please reach out to us on our Mighty Network. Um, you can download the app at the App Store and just search Bulletproof Hygiene. Feel free to post on that page anything that you're curious about. Uh, we want it to be this running commentary and this open dialogue and discussion about like, hey, what's going on in your world and what's going on in our world? So please join us there. Um, Teresa, do you have any final thoughts about onboarding? Um, well, I know that I am personally excited in a few weeks that we will be attending the AOSH, um, American Academy of Oral Systemic Health, um, mm -hmm. conference. It's actually here in Atlanta, um, in a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm excited about this conversation because I know whenever we go to a conference and we get to see and hear some new that it's like, Ooh, you know, it, it kind of opens me up to knowing like, Hey, if I see something that I think is really amazing, like I have a pathway that I can come back and really consider it. Um, ironically, I know both of our office managers right now are at the ADOM conference. Yes, yes. And my yes. office manager actually sent me a text the other night and was like, hey, have you heard of this? And it was like some information on a product. She's like, this is really interesting to me. So I'm excited for her to get back and tell me more about that. And she said she was going to get, you know, some samples. And so you know, there's so many opportunities for us as hygienists to just look around at all the things that are out there. And yeah. um, I just, I appreciate, like I said, you kind of sharing your hard work and you being through the process and, and having a pathway for as we move forward with these things. So yeah, I'm thank so, you. I'm so, you're welcome. And I'm glad I get to share this stuff. Um, I'm so excited for AOSH for the same reason. I can't wait to see what we can potentially onboard. We're currently investigating um, different air polishers. So I know that I'll get a lot, quite a bit about that probably there and we'll see kind of what what they have to offer and then I'll have to start my own process once again yep awesome. <laughs> all wow. right guys it's been real it's been fun thank you so much for joining us today have a great week and we will see you next week bye-bye everybody thanks for joining us for this episode of the bulletproof hedging podcast we hope you've had as much fun as we have don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from we appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.